If you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you do, find 2 Timothy. Uh, We started the book of 2 Timothy about a month ago, but with uh, sickness and camp and singings, we've been pretty slow going through it. But if you remember, 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it from a prison that was pretty much a cellar, probably crammed with 30 people, uh, very little light, parchment. But word had got to him that Timothy was struggling. Timothy would have pastored at Ephesus. He would have uh, been Paul's mentor, mentee, the man who was going to carry on the torch when Paul was gone. But most likely what had happened is some individuals who were very wealthy, very influential, had come into the church and because of their age and their influence had pressured Timothy to don't be so committed like Paul, right? It's not just all about the gospel, right? There's nothing wrong with some genealogy. There's nothing wrong with some who you were and who you are. And and you don't have to be so fanatical, Timothy, like Paul. You know, this church is growing. It's thriving. You, you, You just need to be more culturally relevant, You say, Jake, how do you know that? Because Paul tells him to not forget the things that he had told him. And you say, well, what did he tell him? Well, I'm glad that you asked because you can flip back over into 1 Timothy with me very quickly as we do an overview. 1 Timothy, he told him, if you have headlines or the titles in your Bible, to not be compromising. Don't let the genealogies and the disputes over nonsense get in the way of the gospel. He told him to keep fighting the good fight because Timothy, like many times, it's easy to just throw up your hands and say it's not worth it. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the struggle. He told him in chapter 2 to continue to pray for all men. Don't get so beat down over the government or those who oppose you or those who people don't think are worthy that you stop praying for the salvation of the lost. He waded into some of the most controversial passages of Scripture in the role of men and women in the church, the qualifications of pastors and deacons, and what really mattered, how a church should function and organize itself. He warned him against the great apostasy that was coming, and he reminds him to be a good servant. He goes on and he says, take heed of your ministry. Don't don't throw it away in a moment of anger or in a moment of discouragement. Chapter 5, he reminds him of how you are to treat those in the church. He says there in verse 5, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. That's why we believe that it was probably older, influential, wealthy people who came to Timothy and said, listen here, young whippersnapper, I know better than you. I've got more influence than you. And Timothy's thinking, I'll tell you what I really think. And Paul says, don't do it. Don't lash out. He talks about honoring true widows, honoring the elders who rule over, honoring masters and the difficulty of greed and all of those things. And so as he's writing 2 Timothy, he started right out in chapter 1. If you remember, look at verses 6 and 7 with me. If you have your copy of God's Word, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is 
in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So whatever Timothy was struggling with, he's still struggling with it. And Paul writes again, don't fear what Satan is doing. Don't fear the opposition that has rose up against you. And you can read those beautiful words about how Paul in prison says, I am praying for you. I am shedding tears for you, but I know that God is going to work. And if you want to hear that full sermon, you can find that from a few weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, we looked at verses 8 through 12. And we talked about the fact that we must not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. We must not be ashamed that we clearly know that God's Word teaches there's one way to be saved. His name is Jesus Christ. And he finishes there in verses 11 and 12 because we see here Paul again referencing back. Look what it says in verse 11. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of what God's called me to do. I'm not ashamed of how I've served God with everything that I've had. Don't listen to this nonsense. You serve Him faithfully. And then if you look in verse 12, it says, For this reason I awful suffer. He says, not only am I not ashamed of what God has called me to do, I've been willing to give it all up. All the joys of life, all of the happiness, all of these things, and I have suffered, but it's worth it. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him and to that day. So he says, Timothy, you have a ministry. You have the power to accomplish that ministry and you need to have it settled in your heart who you're for. You say, wait a second, I feel like this is the same thing we've been hearing on Sunday morning. If the sermons line up from different books at different times, look up here, it's important. And God wants us to hear it. And I've been talking to you about what really matters because the future of this church... While God will provide all that we need, God can do as He see fits. It will be a result of the faithfulness of His people to commit, to serve, and to work, and to honor Him as we go. And so when we come to verse 13, He once again gives Him His marching orders. It's last will and testimony from this prison. And so if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word in verses 13 through 18 tonight. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Pray with me. Father, tonight we pray that your word would be an encouragement. Lord, that it would 
be used by your Spirit to challenge us. Lord, that we would not be content, that we would not be distracted, that we would seek your face and the richness of your blessings and power and authority to see lives changed. Father, I pray tonight that you would help me to preach your word, your word alone, for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so Timothy has a task. Timothy has an encouragement. But how does that live out every day? It's one thing to tell someone in the doctor's office when I go, they say, Jake, you need to lose weight. And I'll be like, well, how do I do that? Well, you need to eat better. You need to exercise. You need to sleep more. You think you can do those three things? No. I'm honest with my doctor. I'm not going to sleep more. I'm not going to eat better. And I'm not going to exercise. But in that moment, they give me the blueprints for what it takes. But how many of you have sit in a doctor's office and said, I'll do those three things until the next morning when you have a choice between grapes or a donut? Or you make a commitment that you're going to eat salad as a side and the new menu item is bacon, cheese, covered french fries. I'll just cheat this one meal. And then I'll just cheat this one time. And so hearing the instructions, having them laid out for you, is still not the same thing as doing them. And Paul has wrote to Timothy. He has tried to encourage Timothy. He's tried to pray that God would strengthen him. But Timothy is in a fight. He's in a spiritual battle. He is trying to lead a church to do things they don't want to do, but yet God wants them to do. You say, well, Jake, I don't think that's the context. Well, it's written to Timothy, a young preacher who's trying to lead a church, and you can read it in the text. And so what is the first thing he gives him as a blueprint? Just like the doctor would tell you, first of all, eat better. The first thing he says to him is we must trust God's Word. If we are going to accomplish things for God, we must trust His Word. Look in verses 13 and 14. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. What sound words? The ones he's been telling him. The letters he's been writing him. What will become the New Testament Scriptures? Which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. This faith, this love... This compassion, this understanding is the idea that the Word of God is the foundation of everything that we rely on. You see, we can disagree on different things about the Bible. We can disagree on things like the security of the believer, which I do not. I believe in the security of the believer. We can disagree over on little things in the Old Testament, but the Word of God being true or false... Someone can come and say, well, I don't believe Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Those are non-negotiables. The issues in God's Word can sometimes be discussed. But God's Word being God's Word, Paul says, Timothy, you've got to believe it. You've got to know it came from God. It was given to us. And we are stewards of how we handle it, how we preach it, how we write it. How we live it. Psalms 119 says this about the Word of God. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is as a church making a decision that no matter what the world says about premarital sex, no matter what the world says about abortion, no matter what the world says about gender, no matter what the world says about all these things, it's God's word is the standard. It's not the opinions of men. And we have to commit that in our heart because it is under attack. I don't think you realize this, but most of us have no idea how few people really believe the Word of God. It is overwhelming. What about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You say, I don't like Leviticus. Suck it up, buttercup. It's all God's Word. You say, boy, I don't like some of that stuff that's in Song of Solomon. That's some awkward moments. Listen up. It's God's Word. There's a purpose to it. There's, a, there's something that you can learn from. It is something that can encourage you. It can correct you. Psalm 119 says the Word of God is how God uses to keep us from sinning. Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. The reason that sin is running rampant in the church today is we don't memorize it. We don't hide it in our heart. We can't quote it. Now, I'm not saying you have to know every book and every verse, but you want to know what God says, Word says, when temptation comes up. When a moment comes up when lust is a problem, you need to know that God's Word says to look and lust after a woman is the same thing as... You need to know that when the Word of God says to hate someone in your heart is the same thing as murder. You have to know that and when those temptations come, you can think that you're strong enough on your own. You've got enough wisdom on your own, but it's not. It's the Word of God that it says keeps us from sin. It's not just the Word of God under our arms as we're carrying our Bible. It's hidden in our heart. And the only way the Word of God is hidden in your heart is when you listen to it preached and you apply it when you study it in the morning quiet times of your life. If God's people would study God's Word, would listen to God's Word, would embrace God's Word, you would see a dramatic change in the sin that the church tolerates. You say, well, Jake, I don't like, I don't like being preached to. The Bible says the Word of God never returns. So, Jake, I just don't like Sunday school. My teacher, he just, oh my goodness. If the Word of God is taught, it never returns. Just it's the truth. We have lost our hunger for the Word of God. We have lost that desire to hear someone expound upon the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to explain the Word of God. Why do you think that is? Well, I know why it is for me, because I think I already know it. 
we're not careful. We can think that we know everything about God's Word. This sermon's not going to help. This Bible study not going to help. These revival meetings are not going to help. This women's Bible study is not going to help. Sunday school's not going to help because I know the important things. But you have to remember that God's Word refines. That God uses His Word to mold you into the vessel He wants you to be. Hebrews chapter 4 says it like this, for the Word of God is living and powerful. You need to understand, this is not just a book. This is not just something you check out of a library. The Word of God became flesh. There's power in the Word of God. There's power in quoting Scripture. There's power in teaching your kids Scripture. That's why on Sunday nights they're striving to get kids to memorize Scripture. Why? Because the Bible says... If you want to keep young people from sin, if you want to keep them from running to the things of the world, it's not more programs. It's not more entertainment. It's not even better music. It's the fact that God's Word has been embraced. That God's Word has been hidden in their heart. And they believe it. You say, Jake, that is so old-fashioned. You know that won't work. That's what it said. You either believe it or you don't. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8, my favorite verse in all of Scripture. The grass withers and the flower fade, but the word of our God stands forever. You're not going to get to heaven for 10,000 years and then God's going to say, oh wait, I want to change something. No. His word is established. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Preachers come and go. Churches open and close. Deacons are ordained and die. Sunday school teachers volunteer and quit. But if you will base your life and your marriage and your parenting and your finances and your business on the Word of God, it promises to never change. It is a foundation that cannot be shaken. A foundation that cannot crumble a foundation that cannot be washed away. And what he tells Timothy is, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to believe the Word of God? Are you going to believe these people? Are you going to believe these people who are older than you, more knowledgeable than you in the worldly things, have more money than you, more influence of you? Or are you going to trust God's Word? You say, what does that mean for me? It means a lot of things. For me as a pastor. I don't know if you know this or not, but when I started here, I was pretty much younger than all of you, almost. And over the last decade, which you think I've aged three decades, I can see that by the look on your face, there have been numerous times when I have sat in meetings or sat across from people and had my integrity questioned or, or, or my word questioned or accused of being a liar. And in those moments, I have to remind myself, Lord, don't rebuke an older man. Don't wound the sheep. Just do what your word says, right? Answer not a fool his folly. Don't lash out in a moment of anger. Just listen, take the chewing, and what? Move on. Because why? The Bible says that God fights for us. We can in one moment in the quick lashing out of our tongue destroy years that we have built in relationships and testimonies that we've established. 
even though everything in us wants to defend ourselves, wants to fight our case, wants to declare it from the rooftops. But you have to trust God's Word if you're really going to make a difference. The second thing we see from this passage of Scripture is once we decide to stand on God's Word, is that we should expect some people to turn away from the truth. I think this is the one I have struggled with the most as a pastor because when I first started pastoring, I didn't want to do it, but once I started to do it, I thought, well, God, you've put me here and I can be everyone's answer to prayer. Right? I got this wonderful young family. I, you know, I, I don't preach bad. I don't preach great. I think everything, I mean, I can be everyone's answer. And what I can tell you after 12 years is I'm not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> and that's been hard. Watching people leave that you never dreamed of. Watching people do things that you never thought could happen. Watching something go on in a marriage from someone that you had all your faith and trust in. But look here in verse 15. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. He doesn't just say some of them. He says all of them. He says churches young ministers, young missionaries, these people I've invested in, I've poured into, I've spent my life ministering to. When the going got tough, they got gone. But he he says it's well known. And he goes on and he gets specific. Can you imagine all the people he could pick and he picks out your name? Among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes, which I wish they would have picked easier names. And so we need to understand something that not everyone's going to agree with the Word of God. Not everyone's going to understand what it means to be led by the Spirit. That doesn't give us an excuse to live in open sin and hurt people. It doesn't give us an excuse to think that we're the dictators or the rulers of God's church. But you need to understand something. Standing on God's Word regardless of the cost will cost you something. Isaiah, Psalms 41 verse 9, talking about dealing with betrayal, says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, this is King David, who I ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. David says, I ate with this person. I broke bread with this person. I, we were as close as two people could be. Betrayed me. Some examples in the Old Testament. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Samson was betrayed by Delilah. Jeremiah was betrayed by those closest to him. Read the Old Testament books of Kings and Chronicles and you will see numerous examples of leaders being murdered by someone that they trusted. David was betrayed by Saul and a host of others. Friends, you and I cannot use the failures of other people as a crutch to not be faithful to God. What does that mean? No matter how many times someone hurts me, I can't blame God. No matter how many times someone betrays me, I can't blame God. It's sin. It's sin that leads people to do those things. It's sin for people to make those decisions and say those comments. And I have to remember that God is good even in spite of it. What if David would have quit and let Saul kill him before he had the lineage of Jesus? 
What would have happened if Jeremiah would have just died instead of continuing to preach the message of repentance and judgment? What would have happened if Samson had not prayed there surrounded by those pillars with the Philistines mocking him and making fun of him? But he prayed, Lord, just one more time. Just give me strength for one more time. What if Joseph had just, you know what? I'm just going to be a slave. I'm just going to mess around with Potiphar's wife. I'm not going to be faithful in prison. And a drought would have eradicated the nation of Israel. You see, you and I have to be obedient regardless of what happens. We have to be obedient regardless if we stand alone. Let's get specific because we want to really make it awkward tonight. That means as a spouse, even if your spouse is not where they need to be spiritually, that's no excuse for you to slip. You've got to stay firm, living for the glory and honor of God. As parents, your kids are at an age where they don't want to come to church, they don't want to do the things of God, the things of God are outdated or old-fashioned or not, not whatever. You have to continue to be committed to doing the thing that God has asked you to do. What does that mean for you at work? That means even when you are put in a situation where your integrity is called into question, you need to be faithful regardless of the blowback. What does it mean for us as a church? For me specifically as a pastor, it means I'm going to preach verse by verse, word by word, no matter what you think. Because it's God's word and it commands us to preach in season and out of season. I'll tell you how important this verse that David said was. Jesus quoted it in talking about Judah's betrayal. Listen to what he says in John chapter 13. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats the bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He says, I'm going to be betrayed, but it's going to prove to you that I'm the Messiah. That Isaiah 53 is true. That I'm like a lamb led to the slaughter. I'm like a lamb that does not argue or fight. He says, when you see this happen, you will know the truth. Friends, you have to understand something. When you and I are betrayed and our world falls down around us, you never know how God might use your obedience to help someone else. You think you're the first person that's ever been lied about? (laughs) You think I'm the first pastor that's ever been talked bad about? You think you're the first person that's ever been put in a situation at work where you're called to question your integrity? But if you can be obedient, God can use you. He can use your testimony to impact others. He can use your integrity and obedience to reach others. Third and final one, this is more positive since you're looking at me like I'm way off base. Remember and pray for those people who God uses to bless you. 
You're going to have the ones that aren't a blessing. But never forget those who are. Never forget the people that God brings into your life who blesses you. Look what he goes on and says. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find first mercy from the Lord in that day. And as you know very well, how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. He says, Timothy, you're going to be betrayed. It happens. I've been there. A whole continent abandoned me. But he said, don't forget about that one. Don't forget about that one who not only wasn't ashamed of me, but lived to be a blessing for me. Who found me in my chains. Now you have to think about this. As a Roman prisoner, if you went to visit someone who was a prisoner, they could make you a prisoner. They were literally arresting Paul for what? Preaching the gospel. And here's someone who believes like you do. It was very well possible that you show up to minister to Paul. You might be needing to be ministered as well. But this man said, that doesn't matter. I know what God has called me to do. I know what God has given me the opportunity to do. And I'm not ashamed. Paul even says that, right? He was not ashamed of my chains. People like that are very rare. Because most people might not talk bad about you, but they sure will listen when someone else does. But I'm telling you, if you've got that person that'll be with you, no matter what someone says, no matter what someone does, no matter what it might cost them, friends, you have found a gift from God. You say, boy, Jake, I wish I could find someone like that. You know what my greatest piece of advice to you? Be someone like that. Be that person who is faithful. Be that person who is committed. Be that person who knows the gospel matters above everything else. I like that in verse 17. He sought me out very zealously. He didn't sneak around. He went right to the source and said, where do I find Paul? I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of who he is. Where is he? I want to be a blessing to him. But listen to what Paul says. It's one of the most amazing things to me in verse 18. The Lord grant to him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day. What day is that? It's the day of judgment. It's the day when believers who do not stand before the great white throne judgment, Paul is saying, I am praying that God will reward him for his faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in a way that even though our rewards are for God's glory and we will lay those crowns at His feet, that's what I want. I want my life to be a blessing to other believers. I want my life to be a blessing to the local church. I want my life to be a blessing to the hurting and the wounded and the lonely. I want to live in such a way that when someone prays for me, it is God bless them. Maybe not on this side of glory, but when they stand before you.
That should be the heart that we live our life. Lord, I want to serve you and be a blessing to others. When was the last time you prayed for someone that way? Oh, I know it's so awkward when you're not doing something and someone asks you if you are. When was the last time you just thought about someone who had been Christ-like to you and said, God, just bless them. Bless them and show them mercy and give them favor. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do it very often. But that's what Paul is teaching us here. To remember those, to pray for those that God uses to be a blessing to us. Because he goes and says, you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Listen to what the Bible says in these few different verses and I'll be done. In Colossians 3, it tells us how we can be a blessing to one another. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. James chapter 4 verse 11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says it like this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Paul says the task before you is great. He says the calling that God has on your life is hard. But don't forget, trust God's Word. Prepare your heart to be hurt. Prepare your heart to be let down. Prepare your heart to be betrayed if must. But never forget that God will bring people into your life to help you accomplish the goals that He has for you. I heard a story this week from a mother She said, at one point in my life, I struggled with anxiety and fear so much that I couldn't leave my house. I had a newborn baby, and she said, for over a month, up to two months, I could not leave the house. Could not have the windows open, the blinds were pulled. I couldn't do anything. She said, my husband had to do everything. And she said, a woman from a local church came to my house and said, do you pray for other people? She said, I do. She said, do you ever pray for yourself? She goes, no. I don't feel worthy to pray for myself. And all that woman said was, will you promise to pray for yourself every day? And I promise that I will pray for you as well. That was it. They agreed, and over the next month, that young mother opened the windows. Just the blinds, not the windows. A few weeks later, she opened the windows and got fresh air. About six weeks later, she opened the front door and took a step out on the front porch. 
And 35 years later, or whatever it was, 32, I don't know, long time, she says, God sent that woman into my life when I had no hope. And I ask you tonight, are you living your life in a way that that's your testimony? Or are you living your life in such a way that the verse before is your testimony? The church is yours. As us as a church, are we known as a church that sacrificially loves, sacrificially forgives, sacrificially does the things that we know we are to do regardless of our personal feelings because it honors God? Are we known as the other? The choice is ours. If you notice there that Paul said in the verses from last week, I am confident that he will keep. But in the very first verse that he wrote this week, he says that we keep. God will keep you when He saves you. But how He uses you once you are saved is how you respond to the Spirit. I believe you can be saved and be very, very ineffective for the Lord. Because if that's not true, I know a whole lot of church members that are not going to heaven, all right? That's not what I want for my life. That's not what I want for this church. God, you have given us so much. We are willing to use it for your glory, regardless of the cost. And that's the decision this group has to make. The backbone of this church. What will the future look like? What are we willing to do? What are we willing to commit to? How are we willing to forgive? How are we willing to stay faithful? All of these things Paul told to Timothy is applicable to myself and to you. And the question is now, what will we do with it? What choice will we make now that we have been given our marching orders? Do I have a pretty good feeling there's going to be some mornings we're going to eat donuts over grapes? Yeah. We're going to choose to hit the snooze button over getting up and taking that five-mile run? Yeah. But if we can commit to be faithful to Him, I believe the limits of what God can do through this local church is just like what it said to him this morning. There is nothing too hard for God. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this group of people, how special they are the commitment they have to you. Lord, I know they're not perfect. I know they are sinners saved by your grace. But Lord, tonight I pray that you would help them to see the great calling you have on their life, the great mission you have given to this church, the great potential that it has to bring you glory and honor. And Lord, help us pray that the future is greater than anything we've ever seen. And not that this place becomes a museum to what happened in the past. Lord, we thank you for those that are being saved. We thank you for those who have been sent to us as guests that have found this place as home. Lord, we thank you for those who have been so committed for so long. Maybe they've grown weary or maybe they don't feel like they know their place to remind them of who they are in you. And Lord, we pray for greater victories greater blessings, and Lord, that you would be lifted up by this congregation. And Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.